Welcome to our third and final episode talking about dealing with trauma, loss and grief in a crisis situation and specifically as it relates to the bushfire catastrophe that we are currently experiencing here in Australia with our superstar social worker Liz Crow. In this episode, Liz speaks to us about the weeks and months after the firestorm has passed. What happens once the crisis has abated and the world has stopped talking about it, but the victims and those who went to help them are left to pick up the pieces and deal with what they had experienced. The advice from this episode also goes way beyond this particular situation. Liz gives some invaluable input into burnout and compassion fatigue in everyday life and how to deal with it. Have a listen to the previous two episodes if you want to hear more about what Liz had to say and don't forget to share this with anyone who you think might benefit from having a listen. Enjoy! You were talking before about the, the acute um, was it acute critical stress yeah. um, phase. So that's, that's when it's still occurring and still in it. But then you said that the post-traumatic stress like phase of, 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 of what happens is how long is that? That could be years later. It could be. So the acute stage is currently now and like, and then, and then two months, three months after, or is it, is it really defined like that or not really? So look, I'm not an expert yeah. in this field, so yeah. I'm not claiming to be, but my understanding is, so, you know, we had seen event at work and it's very confronting mm. and the event has stopped yeah. and then people have a phase of acute critical stress disorder mm. that could go on for, you know, a day or several days or a couple mm. of weeks. And usually it reduces as you get further away from it. Yeah. If it doesn't reduce and people still become symptomatic and then they also, you know, they're hyper-aroused by noises and screams and sounds and smells, you know, then that can go on and PTSD can continue for a long time. Not my field of expertise, but these guys are still in the crisis. Mm. (laughs) So they can't even stop the acute critical stress symptoms because it's still going, going, going. And so their brain is in this constant you know, fight, fight or freeze response and we'll have to stay there potentially for a, for a period of time yet mm. and then we have to see. Um, certainly Charles Figley did a lot of research on um, victims, you know, like the soldiers from the war coming from Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we can look at things retrospectively with the Vietnam vets yeah. but Afghanistan has been a current thing. Yeah. And what they've shown is regardless of the event, there are... Five to ten to fifteen percent. Some of them say some of them go as high as twenty, but most of them are around five to fifteen percent on either extremes. So a year after a big event, mm. there's five to ten to fifteen percent who may have PTSD. Yeah. Okay. On the other extreme, there's five to ten to fifteen percent who have post-traumatic growth. Wow, interesting. Wow. All right. Yeah. So and no one ever talks about post-traumatic growth. Okay. It does occur at the same. That's what Charles Bigley's research has shown. And the bulk of people in the middle will have returned back to normal. Mm. Okay, yeah. regardless of what the event is. So, mm. again, you know, we have we really live in a society that pathologizes all emotions. Mm. And we hear about people talking about resilience, but they're often talking about it like resilience around exams at university, mm. which just, you know, it's part of university life. What we're talking about here is, is a complete crisis you know people are talking it looks like a war zone it feels like a war zone people don't even have the basic necessities Mm. of electricity and Mm. and people still may not even be physically safe yet for a while their property may not be safe for a while so they're they're in the thick of it they are absolutely in a crisis 
But what they're saying is, so a year down the track, mm. there's a small subsection of people who will have post-traumatic stress, you know, proper post-traumatic stress disorder. And that doesn't mean they'll have it for life, but mm. they, a year down the track, they have it. There's a, a sub-portion of people who have post-traumatic growth, and I'm happy to talk about that further mm. if you yeah, want to have some questions. Yeah. And the bulk of people will have recovered. Yeah. I remember when you came in and came to our symposium and you shared that uh, like the loss of a partner can take like eight years. And I'm not sure if you said that, but it can take up to eight years and that's normal for people to grieve for that, for that time frame. If it's a a significant person, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It doesn't mean that it impacts you the same as it does in the acute phase of it. Yeah. But it is a lifetime of grief because at any point, if you say to someone, you know, my sister's been dead, you know, nearly my whole life. If mm. someone said to me tomorrow, you can have your sister back, I'd take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, because it's a loss. It's, yeah. a, it's mm. a grief that's never going. It doesn't mean that every minute of my day yeah. is absorbed by that, mm. but it's a profound life event. And I guess if we, you know, if you want to hear more about post-traumatic growth, it's really when people, you'd say to them, look, if you had the opportunity to have never gone through that experience, people would still be like, yeah, I'd never go through that yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But for some people, like say someone's had a heart attack, mm-hmm. then you know, a year down the track you look at a population, some people might have PTSD about that, some people might have post-traumatic growth and what that is is like, you know what, a year ago I had a heart attack and I was on the treadmill, man. I was just working, working, working and yeah. I thought the biggest stress in my life was getting a bigger house or how can I save for a holiday. Yeah. And I had a heart attack and I thought, you know what, life is limited Yeah. and actually my marriage is not as bad as I thought it was. My kids are actually pretty great. Mm. You know, my career is great but it's not my whole life and they change something about themselves. They view life with this whole new awareness about still wish I'd never had a heart attack, but if I'm going to be here, this is I'm going to make the most of my life now. Mm. And so they actually are happier post the event because of what they've seen. Now, I'm not for one second Mm. suggesting, wow, you know, there's vets out there who are going to say, so glad that, you know, quarter of the Australia was on fire. And But for some people down the track they might say this was something that you know some people go into politics i'm going to change the world mm. i'm going to climate change right? yeah like whatever yeah. and i you know if for me just as a citizen who's not being directly impacted i one thing that gives me great hope is i am seeing australia come together as a community more solidly than i ever have experienced in my whole life still wish we didn't have to have the bushfires, still wish people mm. didn't have to suffer. But if something good can come out of it, you know, the fact that you guys want a podcast today, mm. it means that we are back in touch with the fact that we are a humanity. We have more in common with each other yeah. than we have differences. And that is a positive thing. Mm. I, I've got to say I've been just astounded by the support from around the world. You know, it, it's incredible to see that, and I think it was that, that photo that was on the front page of the New York Times on New Year's Day mm. of the kangaroo across the, going across the burning building and all of a sudden the world was like, Australia needs help. Yeah. And just the, you know, the messages and the support and, of course, the, the donations because, let's face it, it's just a huge rebuild yeah. that requ- is going to require millions and millions of dollars and, and, and that's what has been pledged. It's just, yeah, I think it, it, I would want people over there overseas to know how much that's meant to people here you know to know that the world's behind us and you know for some of our vets who are in the thick of it you you're probably not in touch with that Mm. you know you don't have time to come home and 
you know, turn on the news and say, oh, what's happening? Like, how much are people pledging? You're in the thick of it. Mm. And to be honest, at this point, if you listen to this podcast while you're in the acute stress, I'd say don't tap into that. Mm. Don't come home and look at the news and see what's happened. Don't mm. read, don't look at pictures of how bad it is four hours away from you mm. or you are in enough crisis. You don't need to flood yourself with more images and things around that. What I want people to hear is that, there are people in every corner of this universe who are thinking of you, mm. who are sending well wishes to you and your community, that people are pledging to do things. Like for myself, I'm thinking in the next 12 months, I'm going to cry and visit Kangaroo Island for the first time as a tourist and spend dollars and, mm. you know, contribute something that way. Like mm. people are thinking of you and what you're doing we think is phenomenal and extraordinary and takes great courage and selflessness so if you get to listen to the podcast, tap into self-care and know that what you've done today is being appreciated and valued. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm happy to send you the links for all of this, and I'm certainly not comparing this to what happened, mm. but I think, you know, you can have an, you, you spoke at the beginning about um, meeting, you know, talking to someone, an older vet who had a cat that was a stray that all of a sudden it was that cat that tipped him over the edge and he felt mm, quite yeah. emotional about it. Yeah, yeah. You can have an acute grief reaction to things and then you can have a cumulative mm. reaction. And all of us have the potential to have that cumulative stuff. So even maybe we have vets who are on the fringe mm. who are still receiving animals because they're fair enough, they're not in the actual crisis, their own community mm. is safe. But the cumulative effect of just seeing things over and over and over again, even for an average vet practice, can become, mm. you know, tiring over time. Lots of people talk about burnout. I have quite a strong view on that. I think all of us at any point of our career, it doesn't matter if you're a hairdresser or whatever, can feel burnt out, like just I'm so sick of this job, I should have done something else, and everybody else's job mm. looks better, better. the florist, yeah. the postman, <laughs> yeah. the... You know, I should have. It doesn't matter what your career is. But I think when you work in critical care, whether you're a vet or a nurse or a doctor in an ambulance or police or, you know, in the defence forces, it's on a whole different scale again. But I think, you know, all of us at any time can suffer this cumulatively overwhelming and it can sneak up on you and one day it's just almost crippling. It's got a term, it's called mm. compassion fatigue, mm. where it's just like I cannot give one more thing to one more person. That is recoverable. All of us will have, you know, I say you should expect compassion fatigue. Mm. Uh, one of the things I'm curious that may happen to the vets that certainly happens to us when we've, you know, been impacted by a big event is that everybody else annoys you by their trivialities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, are you like, oh, are you serious? <laughs> you know, like that you're getting things, but nausea, can you see what's going on? In this? <laughs> you know, like where where you almost just, you're tired of giving to people continually, but also people whinging about things that just now seem completely pointless to you. You have a very low threshold for that. Mm. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's kind of an indicator for us for our mental health about how, like, man, I need a holiday or yep. I actually need a weekend off or yeah. I need to not be giving, giving, giving. And what happens is you probably went into vet science because you're a bit of a nurturing person. And you'd be like us. You go to dinner parties and people are like, what do you do? I'm a bit, my budgie is <laughs> not quite 
can tell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, everybody wants to tell me. My, my kids think that I've got this, like, sixth sense, like, you know, we're the fourth person in the checkout at the grocery store or at the supermarket and we get there and I go, how's your day? And the girl starts crying, you know, like I'm writing, you know, referrals and things. I have a big empathy radar, obviously, but you know, all of us get tired of it. We're like, Oh, you know, give it a rest, man. You know, like I don't have to care about your pet every single waking moment of my life. So there's that sort of cumulative compassion fatigue side of it that people may have already been suffering before Mm. this happened that can make you quite jaded. So just, you know, check in when people get a bit of come up for air, check in with yourself. Like how were you before this? Yeah. yeah. And what has this crisis now made you feel like? Yeah. So have you got resources for that? Because how, how do you, that's people listening to this are going to go, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's what I feel like all the time. What can I do about it? Well, you might have to ask me back. We might have to have uh, a list on that. The other thing that I thought that I will send you the resources is, um, it's, it's 12 months ago exactly. So I obviously am involved in a child's death every few days at work and then you have those weeks where you have several deaths over a couple of days and then you have a couple of weeks break wow. and then, it, you know, so again, I'm not comparing myself to what's going on with the bushfires, but I know what it's like to be in a heightened kind of state and responding and give, give, giving all the time. And then something happened to me 12 months ago, unprecedented, will never happen to me again in my career and it, lured me mm. to the point that I thought, yeah, I think I'm done. I just don't think I can do this work anymore. But what people do in that crisis is they either run or they get busy. <laughs> like, mm. oh my God, I'm not coping. I can't let anyone know that. So I made sure that all my committee stuff was up to date and I, you know, I signed up to new PhD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I better do some more podcasting, uh, you know, trying to cover it. And it was, I was in such a profoundly dark place over that event. Like what could I have done to change things? How could I have influenced this? And intellectually it was beyond my control, had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Emotionally it was like, I'm a bad person. If you know, and you visualize like some of these vets might be doing, you visualize about if I'd gotten up an hour earlier, yeah. could I have done this? Could I have, you know, if I'd worked two hours later, could I have saved seven more koala? You know, like yeah. where you just, you're in a crisis and you're unable to kind of think rationally about yeah. things. So I have um, two um, blogs about that. One's called Wellbeing for the Broken because mm-hmm. I think we talk about self-care in this whole, like, you know, how do you every day look after yourself? And the, yeah. But this is like what do you do when you're actually broken, when you feel completely trashed, where you feel like there is nothing in the tank? Yeah. Except yeah. Nothing, nothing left to give. Nothing left to give that... You know, you almost, it is an existential crisis because for most of us, being a vet for these guys, you know, women and men would be a big part of who they are in these community, their identity. Mm. So in this crisis, you start to think, I don't think I can be a vet anymore. Mm. Who am I? My life is going to have no purpose, no meaning. I've got no way to feed, you know, my my family. I can't pay the house mortgage Mm. anymore. You know, like you get in this crisis. So I've done two um, blogs about that. First one is like, how bad does it look? And for those of you who are in a dark, dark place, don't read the first one now. It may not be helpful. If you want to, if you want to read it to know, can you be in that dark place yeah. and survive? Read it then. But yeah. you know, like I talked about not being able to sleep and pa- being panic stricken about being not able to sleep, and then thinking, God, you know, I've got to go into the intensive care tomorrow and work, and I'm not going to be good at it. And then you start to think of every failure you've ever had in your life. Like, mm. why did my marriage break down? And I 
described it at picking at every psychological wound I'd ever had. It was like nail under the scab, pick, pick, mm-hmm. pick, you know. So the first blog is about like how dark can it get and what does it look like? And the second blog is about how do you recover? Mm-hmm. And for me, routine was everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm a bit of an obsessive person anyway, but it didn't matter what time I actually fell asleep, whether it was 10 to 4, you know, 5 past 2 in the morning, 5 to 5 a.m., the alarm went off and I forced myself to get up and go to the gym. Yeah, right. mm. I made decisions about meals <laughs> on a Sunday and I stuck to it because my brain was too fatigued mm. to decide what to feed my kids. Mm. I, I needed a routine and I needed a framework to just survive. And for the, for the vets who may be feeling like that, have a routine. doesn't matter what's going on. So you're going to get up and you may not be able to go for a walk. You, you know, your gym may not exist anymore. Do some push-ups, do some sit-ups. If you've never done that, don't do it because it's going to be you're going to damage your body in a different way. But like routine, routine, routine. I'm going to get up and I'm going to have a shower and I'm going to eat my breakfast and I'm going to take 15 minutes and I'm going to read a fictional book as a means of escapism mm. and then I'm going to face the day. But it's like don't, otherwise you wake up in the morning and you think I'm, I'm still in this terrible place, I'm still in this dark place and I can't make a decision like do I go to work today, should I stay home? Do I exercise? Do I not exercise? You know, should I be on a paleo diet today? Like, would that be helping? You know, like we're trying to make too many decisions. Mm. Take as much of that out of the equation as you can. Mm. You're in a, you are in a, a complete crisis. You know, look after yourself. Take the decisions out and just be gen, as gentle as you possibly can. Be a friend to yourself during this time. Don't be your world's biggest critic. You have to nurture, nurture, nurture. And even if you have an internal voice saying you haven't done the right thing or you could have done more, you need to say, hey, how would I treat a friend who is saying this? Mm. You know, stop that voice inside your brain from being so critical, just slow everything down. And then, you know, how do you recover? And for me, it's been a 12 months, you know, for the first time in my life, I went to a counsellor to work through that. And, you know, I found all this cumulative grief over the course of my career that I'd obviously tucked away or, grief about, you know, failed relationships or fights you've had with the kids. It all came up and, you know, I, I kept working. Mm-hmm. I didn't leave the job. I still loved it. I'm about to finish my PhD. You can come around the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk so much about not being able to cope and burnout and depression and anxiety and all those things happen. But actually, on the whole, people are ridiculously resilient. Mm-hmm. Mm. You, know, you go into our children's hospital, you go into an adult hospital, you go into a war zone, people still fall in love. Mm. People still worry about their body. People still eat. People still engage in life. People still find a way. Yeah. And so we have to believe in that part of our human spirit that just goes on. And, you know, if that wasn't true, the world would have ended a hundred times over. Yeah. You know, and we can get very fixated. But in actual fact, as weird as it sounds, this is the most peaceful time the world has ever seen. We've never known peace on a world scale, despite what's going on in Iran and everything. We've never known peace on a world scale like we are now. Right. We lo- we've lost sight of that. Yeah. You know, the whole world is trying to fund Australia. Yeah. We have Canadians and Americans flying in to fight bushfires. We have vets from around the world offering to come and help. You know, there is so much more that connects us than 
you know, separates us. And, you know, again, I say out of this tragedy, we need to remind ourselves of that. And not in a platitude, Pollyanna, like, yeah. aren't we lucky that we have these bushfires sort of way? But just, you know, don't, it's easy to look at the despair, mm. but hear our voices. People who genuinely care. We're genuinely reaching out. We, we have no other capacity on a Sunday morning in Brisbane when we are not in the fires mm. to do anything but, you know, give money and give, you know, our time and our energy to say people actually are caring about you. We're respecting you. We value what you do. And in three, six, 12 months' time, we're still going to be interested and we're making that commitment. Yeah. I think we've got to stop. I could listen to you all day, but I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Um, I, I have witnesses to you saying that you're going to come back on the podcast <laughs> because we have because we have more to talk about. But for this one, thank you so much. That was fantastic. Yeah, was, really, really I'm good. sick of the sound of my own voice. I'm glad I stopped. <laughs> and and I, I just think um, I just like to say that you know a lot of the things you, you touched on. Then obviously the reason why we talk about this today is the bushfires. But there's just a lot of themes there yeah. that apply would apply to vets and and the importance of, of self care and the things that they go through just in the course of being a veterinarian. Yeah. Mm. Um, that I that I think are great lessons for people to take away wherever they're a vet in yeah, the world. Absolutely. So, yeah. So and we, we don't this is where, you know, like vets have never been exposed to this level of trauma, bushfires or elsewhere. Like lots of animals died at home or died mm. on this you know, mm. on the road where everyone stood around and thought, Wow, that was a bad accident for that dog. Nothing's gonna happen. You know, like it's it's different. Like it's like exactly like us. We are having to see more children mm. with these life-limiting conditions. Like it's just, it's a changing world. And so we have to change. And part of that, you know, people talk about these are the soft skills. That's crap. Oh, yeah. Anyone can learn. Most people can learn technical skills. Mm. Yeah. So like uh, the other day, you know, I was doing a podcast and someone said, you can teach a monkey how to use a ventilator. Um, but it's, it's the human skills. Yeah. It's the human emotions. That's the tough stuff. That's mm. the... The really tough stuff. And I think, you know, we talk about expectations. Like, you know, society expects us, you know, expects it of us now, like to extreme levels. Mm. And it's the stuff that actually can break you. It's mm. The technical stuff, not so mm. much. Mm. It's the emotional yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I still struggle with ventilators. Now I feel, <laughs> <laughs> now I, feel, I, feel I feel less than a monkey. <laughs> Just to reassure you, I've never seen a monkey with a ventilator. <laughs> I'll throw my end with a joke there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's call it a day. Thank you so much. Oh, that was awesome. Sunday. Thanks, everybody else. And I can't wait to get this out there. I think it's going to be very valuable. Thank you again for listening. We hope you found value in that. And if you did, and ask you again please share it with anybody who you think could benefit from listening to this episode for those of you who are out there who want to help out and want to contribute there is a community of people who still need our support and that community is your fellow veterinarians in the areas of australia which are affected by the fires veterinarians are there treating wildlife treating domestic pets even treating and taking care of livestock and these veterinarians have themselves also either lost the clinic, lost their homes, may have lost loved ones, or have actually lost the community that is supporting their business. If you want to support those veterinarians on the ground in these areas, then I urge you to donate 
towards the AVA Benevolent Fund, the Australian Veterinary Association Benevolent Fund. You can find it on www.ava.com.au forward slash donate.